So we're in our third week of our series, Jesus and We. And today, we're going to talk about uh, another one of our core beliefs as a church. Now, I want you to think about every church is driven by something. Some churches are driven by personalities. Some are driven by buildings. And what I mean is they make all their decisions based on these certain things. Some are driven by um, uh, tradition. Some are driven by deacons or elders or... What we want at New Life is to be driven by God's Holy Spirit under the authority of the Scripture. The Scripture doesn't change. And so we want to be under that authority. And and so what we're doing is we're looking at four particular pieces of Scripture, areas of Scripture, that we get four of our core beliefs from. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at um, Hebrews 11.6, and it says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe. He exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if you have your little piece of paper there, you can look at that and you can see we've been, we've been grading ourselves every week on a scale of one to 10. At New Life, we want to be big thinking, faith filled risk takers for the glory of God. Because the scripture says without faith, it's not difficult to please God. It is impossible to please God. So we want to be big risk takers. And if you weren't here with us, you can look at that scale and you can figure out where you are when it comes to faith in God. Last week, we looked at these words of Jesus that came from John chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus, he's, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So we said at New Life, we are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. We graded ourselves on the scale. Are we just consuming or are we contributing to the work of God? And we said, if Jesus Christ said that doing the work of his father nourished his soul, then as his father doing his work is also going to nourish our souls. So we said that a thriving church is made up of people who serve as the body of Christ, serve in the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. That means you need to be serving somewhere. You have a spiritual gift that you need to plug in. But we said a thriving church also serves as the church in the world to, to be salt and light to the world. Now today we're going to look at another one of our core values, and this comes from, from the writings of Paul where he actually quotes Jesus. This is in Acts 20, 35b, and anytime you see a B there, that means the second half of the verse. If you're following on you version, you're going to have to look at the second half of the verse to find it. Here's what it says. You should remember the Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, I was thinking about this, and, and we don't want to just say these words. We don't want this to be a slogan. We want to believe it. We want to live out these these uh, beliefs. And so I was thinking about my life. I grew up in, in uh, Fellowship Baptist Church until I was third grade. My earliest memories of the church, I was in the nursery. We were there every time the doors opened. We were there for revivals. We, Mom played the piano, the organ, all of those things. We were always in church. In third grade, we moved to First Baptist, um, Borger, and I actually graduated high school there, went on choir trips and, and went to youth camp and learned how to memorize scripture, learned how to do quiet time, all that stuff I learned at First Baptist Borger. When I went off to college, I went to uh, Baylor University and I became youth minister, uh, part-time youth and music minister at Grace Baptist Church in China Spring, Texas. And, and there's not even a, well, there is a stop sign. There's not a stop light in China Spring. There is one stop sign, but you have to get off the main highway to find it. But anyway, so I was there for three years and I served in that church. When I left there, Janie and I got engaged, and we got married right as I started um, to be youth minister at uh, Lamar Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, while I was going to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We were there for four years. We left there and came here to Palestine to Southside Baptist Church, where I was the youth minister for seven years, and then we started New Life, and I've been the pastor here for 15 years. Now, I tell you all of this to say, in all of those churches, 
I have observed two particular mindsets. And I want you to think about that as we open up the scripture today, as we talk about churches that you've been in. We're not trying to cast stones. We're just saying there's mindsets that seem to exist. The first mindset is the scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset. That, that's the mindset that there is not enough to go around. There's, there's never enough, so you have to get what you can while you can. Then you defend your stuff and you make sure no one else takes it. And the churches I've been in, there were people, the churches I've been in, it seemed like the chairman of the stewardship or the finance committee had the scarcity mindset. It was, you know, like bleeding a turnip to get a penny out of them for your ministry. And then when you got it for your ministry, this ministry said, oh, oh no, we bought it for this ministry. You can't have it. I'm going, isn't it God's? No, it's mine. Scarcity mindset. The other side is the abundant mindset. There will always be more is what the abundant mindset says. We serve a powerful God. Our, our God has, has supplied in the past. He's provided in the past. There's no reason to believe he won't do it again in the future. And so we have these opposites, right? And, and so really we need both of them. We need folks to save money, but we also need folks to spend money. And so anyway, let's go back to uh, an illustration of a pie. We talked about this last week. Some of you are here last week. If not, you can get the, the message online or you can get a DVD or a CD out here. But we talked about an apple pie. And so let's talk about an apple pie again. The scarcity, the way you look at the pie, when I describe it, will tell you whether you're the scarcity mindset or the abundant mindset. So if you cut this pie into four pieces, you cut it half this way and half this way, the scarcity mindset says, I think you cut that half bigger than this half. And so you're either going to have to give me that half or you're going to have to recut that little bit, that little sliver off of this, and then I'm going to take it and I'm going to protect it because it's mine and there's not enough to go around. The abundant mindset says, take it all. We can make another one. You idiot. No, that, no, <laughs> that's not, that's not the abundant mindset. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to talk today so much about money as I do about an idea of generosity. Because in the scripture, they always talk about being generous. Paul in 2 Corinthians. Some of you watch current events. Do you know why it's called 2 Corinthians and not 2 Corinthians? Because it's the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And I actually heard a lady call into Fox 4 News and she said, it is two Corinthians. The, the proper term is it's the second letter to the Corinthians. That's why we call it second. Anyway, <clears throat> some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Praise God, you don't. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is talking about generosity and he's trying to get the church at Corinth to give to the church in Jerusalem. The Christianity started in Jerusalem. It's where Jesus was crucified. It's where he's laid in the tomb. It's where he's raised from the dead. It's where he taught his disciples for, for 50 days before he was ascended into heaven. The first Christian church was in Jerusalem, and they were going through some severe hard times. They were very, very poor. And so as Paul was going around and, and starting churches all over Europe, he was saying, you need to give to those believers back in Jerusalem. And so as an example, he uses this group of people called the Macedonians. And the reason he talks about the Macedonians is they were extremely poor, abject poverty. And then even though they were in poverty, they gave a massive gift to the folks in Jerusalem. And so Paul is using them as an example. He's, he's bragging on them. And we start in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2. 
They, he's talking about the Macedonians, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. As I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about as Hannah and I were driving all over Haiti back in November trying to figure out where we were going to go. We went to Jacmel, J-A-C-M-E-L. If you want to look it up, you can look that up, Jacmel, Haiti. You can look at Google Maps and see what it's going to be like. But I don't know if you've ever been across the border into Mexico. We, we've taken a couple of trips um, I've, I did years ago with a youth group into Matamoros, Mexico. If you go right across the border into Mexico, you notice you're in a different place. It's kind of like you went back 50 years, you know, with the storefronts and the cars and all that stuff. Well, we didn't minister there because that's where all of the tourists come from. We actually drove all the way across Matamoros to the slums of Matamoros where like there was no electricity, no running water. Some of the houses didn't have functioning doors that would close. I'm walking with two of my teenage girls up and, and a pig comes running out and, and they said, did you just see that pig run out of that house? And I'm like, yeah, that's dinner. And, and it was, and we, we went there and we talked to people about Christ and, and that's kind of the idea when you're in Jacmel is these people are in abject poverty. Now with that in mind, I want to show you what they did. They're being tested with by many troubles and are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy. This is the Haitian people. If you ever worship with them, you'll see that they are filled with joy, happy faces. They worship in spirit and in truth, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Paul says, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And so I was thinking about this and I was thinking, when was the last time you gave not just to church, but to anybody what you could afford? And when was the last time you gave more than what you could afford? When we did the, the building a great life and you hear me talk about that every week, when we had that, that, uh, campaign, we gave an offering that was more than we could afford a one day offering. And then we actually wanted to give over three years over and above our tithe. We wanted to give another $15,000 to get our church out of debt. And so we gave way over what we could afford and we watched God provide for three years till we finished that commitment. When's the last time you gave what you could afford to something? And when's the last time you gave more than what you could afford? These people did that. And look what it says next. They did it out of their own free will. So in the church, I don't believe guilt is is a godly way to get people to do something. I don't want to guilt you into serving. I don't want to guilt you into giving. I don't want to guilt you into being generous. Guilt has to do with you're a sinner, you're filthy, and your past is horrible, and you're never going to be any different. That's from hell. Conviction of the Holy Spirit, though, comes in and pierces your heart and says, yes, you're a sinner. Christ died for that sin. Your sin is not too great to overpower the blood of Jesus Christ that covered that sin. If you ask for his forgiveness, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Conviction has to do with future behavior. Yes, I'm guilty of sin. I'm the worst of sinners, but that's been covered by the blood of Jesus, and I want to be different in the future. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit because it has to do with future behavior. Guilt is from hell because it wants to keep you tied to your past. You see the difference? These people, it said, they did it out of their own free will, not out of guilt. And then look what happens. This is stunning to me. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. You see, when we go in July to Jockmail to this church, there's no way I would stand up in their church service on that Sunday morning and say, you know what? We spent thousands of dollars to come here. I think your church needs to give to New Life Community Church in, in Palestine, Texas. Let's pass the plate. I couldn't do that because they're living in abject poverty. We're rich. Now, I'm not saying that, that we, we have the bank account that says we're rich, but compared to them and compared to most of the world, we're rich 
because we have a place to go home to that has electricity. We have heat. We have uh, air conditioning. We have those things. We're rich. I can't imagine going to them and saying, you need to give to our church. I can almost, almost imagine Paul saying to the Macedonians, why don't you let a wealthier church give? Look what happened. They did even more than we had hoped for. I said that wrong. They did even more than we hoped for their action, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. They begged again and again, please let us give to the kingdom of God. Let us have the blessing of giving for someone else in the kingdom of God. And, and it's so opposite of what we see in the United States because we have to have all kinds of gimmicks, right, to raise money. We, you know, if, if you give $100, we'll send you water from the Dead Sea. I don't know why you'd want that. Um, we'll give you some camel hair. We'll give you olive oil from the garden, from the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed, where he sweat drops of, I don't know, we do gimmicks, right? They didn't have to do that back then. How different that is from poor people saying, please let us give. And what I discovered when I was down there, I, I got to meet Pastor Samson. Some of y'all have been here when he's preached here. For the first five years that we went to Haiti, we stayed at Pastor Samson's church. And it's a large church. About 3,000 people are there at 6 a.m. for the first service. About 500 people come to the late service at, at 930. It's because it's several degrees hotter at 930, so they get up and go to the early service. Well, I was talking to him, and he said, there's a church from Mississippi that has been going as long as we have. And, and this church from Mississippi, um, he, he calls him up. Pastor Sampson calls up their, their pastor, Pastor Rob, and he said, hey, I want to bring a team of Haitians to Mississippi, and I want to do a mission trip like what you've done in Haiti. And so I said, what are you going to do? And he said, we're going to do the same thing you guys do. We're going to go to this church, and then we're going to go out in the neighborhood. We're going to do a work project. We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to have children's ministry. And I said, I want to watch. Because a bunch of Haitians coming to Mississippi that don't speak English, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. If I can coordinate it, I'm going and just filming and coming back and showing you. But here's a church that's, that's much bigger than our church physically and, and with numbers of people. Who I, who, who I would be willing to guess doesn't have anywhere near our annual operating budget. And they said, we want to be part of someone who gives back to another church. That's the right attitude. And so how the, the, verse 5 says they did more than we hoped. How could they do that? How could a dirt poor church do more than they'd hoped? Well, the answer is in verse 5, and it says their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. So if you want to be a generous person, here's the on your listening guide. First thing is generous people give themselves to the Lord. Not just in word or deed. They say, God, my life is yours. And in fact, in scripture, it says this body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who you have, who is in you. And you are not your own for you've been bought with a price. So even my body belongs to God. It's not something we just say, God, my life is yours. They gave themselves to the Lord. And when they gave themselves to the Lord, the generous people then gave themselves to other folks. Their generosity started giving their lives completely to Christ. Now, pick it up in verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. Stop right there because 
I want you to realize that, that in the scripture, in the New Testament, we always talk about spiritual gifts and every believer has at least one spiritual gift and you're supposed to use that gift to build up the church. The Corinthian church, I would argue that the Corinthian church was the most spiritually gifted church. Gifts come from God. You don't get to choose your own gift. They were the most spiritually gifted church in the New Testament. And I would argue that they're probably the most spiritually gifted church in the history of Christianity because they had everything. But look what Paul says, even though you're gifted, look what he says. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Then look at this. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. When, when we new life, we, we don't care if somebody says our band is better than their band. We're not trying to be better than any other church's band. We just want to do the best we can do. We don't care if, if our building is better than somebody else's building. But I tell you one thing I do care about is that we need to be generous. We need to be just as, if not more generous than anybody else. We need to be giving on a regular basis so that people outside these walls can, can experience physical blessings and then ask us, why would you do that? And then we get to tell them about spiritual things. We're like Christ when we do that. And, and see, not only should we, we be uh, generous compared to other churches, look where he goes next. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can stop there. Don't compare yourself to other churches. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ. Well, what did he do? Look at the next verse. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you could be rich. I want our church, I want God to look at our church and say, that's a church that's irrationally generous. Why? Because we don't believe it's a slogan. We believe Jesus Christ said it. We want to live it. It is better to give than to receive. So I want you to look at the little piece of paper you have. It's score one to 10. And we're going to say, are you less generous or are you more generous? But before you put anything down, let me explain the scale to you. First of all, you cannot be a 10 unless you gave your life for the sins of the world and you rose again on the third day. So you're not a 10 unless you're Jesus. And if you're confused, look at your neighbor. They'll tell you, you ain't him. So you're not a 10. Neither are you a one because that's Satan. And if you are Satan in the flesh, please leave as quickly as you can. Right? So you're not a one because, and we're even going to believe that you've been generous at some point. You at least held the door open for a little old lady once in your life. So that makes you a two, right? Right? Now, this one's trickier than the ones we've looked at in the past because you can have a lot of money and you can give what other people would consider to be a generous gift, but for you, it's not that generous, On the other end of the spectrum, you could be very, very poor and money could be tight and you could give what for other people would be very, very small amount, but for you it's sacrifice and that means you're more generous than than someone else. And so you got to be very careful. And, And then there's people here today that are ticked off that I dare mention generosity or money or anything like that. Happens every, people get funny when you talk about money. Happens all the time. Pastors get hammered more about talking about money than anything else. But here's, let me just suggest this and make you real mad. If, if when someone talks about giving or generosity and they're talking about the kingdom of God and it makes you mad, is it possible that that's an indication that you have the scarcity mindset? And, and I'm not trying to cast stones because I've struggled with this. I grew up poor. I grew up when everybody else had the polos and that was what was hot was polos. I had the little night thing. What was it? It wasn't the golden night. I don't know what it was, but the little night thing. And everybody's like, oh, that's a knockoff. That was me. 
Everybody had cool sunglasses, not me. I was poor. And so when, when, when God convicted me about giving to the church on a regular basis, that was a huge shift in my heart from the scarcity mindset that every time I give to God now, I'm saying to him, I'm not trusting in my bank account. I'm trusting in you. But I'm saying that, that you've got to be careful what you put your trust in. Because if your trust is in your bank account, can that bank account be taken from you? Yes. If your trust is, I see all of these, these, Trisha posted one one time. I think Majestic just posted another one where, you know, 2014 in the oil field, it was this big Christmas tree and 2015 in the oil field, it was a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. I mean, don't put your faith in things that can be taken from you. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. So some of you are tithers. That means you give to God what's God's and you give over and above that. And some of you have a plan for giving and maybe you're a seven, eight or a nine. Some of you just, you just find it difficult to give, and, and so you're struggling. What I want you to do is rate yourself. So look down at that, that little piece of paper. Don't look up here for just a second. Figure out where you are because you can't move any further in the kingdom of God until you know where you are. It's like a map. You can't get where you're going until you know where you are. Rate yourself. Now, I want you to see Isaiah 32, 8. This is awesome. Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. So generous people make a plan. Stingy people make a plan to get more money. Generous make a plan. Generous people make a plan to give more money, to be generous. And then they say, I give not just because giving is what I do. I give because generous is what I am, what I want to be in the kingdom of God. In the New Testament, the church in Jerusalem, and actually the churches all over the known world, were known to be generous. My question is, is that what most churches today are known for, being generous? One person said, huh No. We're known for what we're against, but we're not known very often for what we're for. I want you to read um, with me Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what, that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, and then I highlighted this next phrase, and God's great blessing was upon them all. More than anything, I want God's blessing to be at New Life Community Church, and in order for that to happen, we've got to be under his authority, and we've got to do the things that he wants us to do. We, we need to put our energy and effort into the things that Jesus Christ did. And not worry so much about the color of the carpet. I've been in churches where they fought over the color of the carpet. Who cares? You know how we chose the color of the carpet in this church? There were, we were remodeling this building. This was the skating rink. We were remodeling the building. Whoever was on the property at the time, I said, hey, what color do you think the carpet should be? They said, what color is the wall going to be? I don't know. You tell me. And so we had like four or five women say, we like that color of the wall. And I said, okay, what color should the carpet be? And they said, we think it should be this. Done. We're not going to have a vote about the color of the carpet. I'll get on that another day. If churches would get on fire and really live out that it's more blessed to give than to receive, we could meet the needs of the, the, the under-resourced, the underprivileged in our communities. Isn't that what the church of, of, of Jesus Christ is supposed to do? God never intended for governments to take care of poor people. He intended for churches to. And if, if we would get serious about that, we meet physical needs, then there's spiritual needs. We get to tell them about Jesus. 
Imagine if all the 120 something churches in Palestine got serious about it's more blessed to give than to receive. The spirit of God would descend in a mighty way in this area and we would never be the same. Now, in our church, we're, we're, we've done all kinds of things over the 15 years we've been a church. When we first started, we didn't have money for anything. But we rented a food truck, and we went down. It's when they started movies in the park. And we would go down once a month, and we would give out free hot dogs and free hamburgers. And people say, why are you doing this? And we say, God's blessed us. We want to be a blessing to other people. When we were in the old building, the old First Baptist building, one day we just decided to do free school supplies and brisket. And our church was about 60 or 70 people at that time. And so they're like, how many are we going to plan for? I don't know. We fed 400 people that day. And some of the people were going, we don't have enough brisket. And I said, you ever heard of the loaves and the fish? And sure enough, God multiplied. I'm telling you, it was crazy. We had food left over. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. We've had days where we call it be the church, where we'll come to church and then we'll go around town and we've mowed lawns, we've raked leaves, we've cleaned up old uh, lots that were just falling apart. We've cleaned all that up. And every time people would say, why are you doing this? God's blessed us. We want to bless others. We helped Miss Eula one time put a roof on her house when she couldn't put a roof on her house. Why? Because the scripture says pure and undefiled religion is this in the sight of God, our father to visit orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We decided to pay for her roof. Why? God's blessed us because, and we want to be a blessing to others. And people in that neighborhood, as we were cleaning up, they're saying, why are you doing this? God's blessed us. We want to bless others. One time we went down to Walmart and we handed out free food because y'all know y'all avoid going into whichever one. I, I, I know you do this. If there's some kids raising money for something, you try to go in the other one or you wait until they're, they're distracted and you run in, right? I know I've seen you. I've done it. <laughs> we went and set up at Walmart at, at one of the, the spots and we were handing out free food and people doing just what y'all did. <laughs> we're like, it's free. We give them, give them hot dogs or hamburgers or whatever, cokes and drinks. And, uh, they'd, they'd be going by and, and we don't have any money. I don't have any change. It's free. Why is it free? God's blessed us. We want to be a blessing to others. And then, then this one little lady, she comes, she's this grandmom and a uh, little black lady. She comes out and, and she's, st- she's going to go by like every night. We said, it's free. And she goes, is it really free? We said, yes, ma'am. It's totally free. And she goes, hold on. She goes out into the parking lot, gets this big old suburban. Looks like y'all suburban. It's full of children. She's like raising all of her grandkids. And she pulls up right next to us. And she said, what about them? And I said, here we go. And we carried all of this food over. We handed it in the windows. Those kids are eating and snacking. And woo-hoo. And the little old lady standing next to me. And she said, why are you doing this? And I said, God's blessed us. We want to be a blessing to others. And she goes, I know that's right, baby. <laughs> and for years, instead of saying amen in our church, that's what we'd say. You'd hear somebody go, I know that's right, baby. It just takes too long to explain it now. That's why we don't keep doing that. But we've, we've tried to be irrationally generous through the years. And here recently, um, you know, we started, and this wasn't me. Somebody in the church said, we want to start giving away clothes. We've got so many clothes. Let's give clothes away. So twice a year, we have a clothing giveaway. The last one we did back, I think it was September. I don't even remember the date. I'd have to look it up. Well, there's also a, a family in our church that was handing out food boxes anonymously. They would hear about somebody who would need food. They would have extra stuff. They would put it in a box. They would go over and leave it on somebody's doorstep without them knowing. Just a, just a little note saying, you know, God bless you. Well, they started doing that in the church, so we decided to put it all together. So um, Saturday morning, we had a room full of clothes. I mean, there are clothes everywhere. And we had boxes of food, and, and people in the church brought boxes of food. And, and then Janie decided to, to do sandwiches that day. 
We fed 67 families. They were carrying out multiple bags of clothes to their cars, and every family got at least two boxes of food that day, and they got a free meal that day, and people said, why are you doing this? We said, God has blessed us, and we want to be a blessing to others. We believe that you need to be irrationally generous because it's, it's better to give than it is to receive. We're not just going to say that. And so last week, as we're going through this whole series, two people came up after the service. One was Shandy. Shandy was sitting on the front, and she came up here, and she was just bawling. And she said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I haven't thought of this before. But this over here, this RV park right next to us, she said, um, when I was at my darkest point, and I'll let her tell you her whole story sometime. She was at a very dark point in her life. She didn't want to live. She said, I was living right there, and, and nobody ever came to see me. She said, we need to pray about what we need to do over here at this RV park. And then Jamie actually came up to me and Jamie said when she was at her lowest point, when she didn't want to live, she was living in the apartments right behind Walmart. And she said some church, she didn't even know who it was, came and they gave free hot dogs and they had a concert and they did children's stuff. And she said that kind of kept her going through a very difficult time in her life. And so we, we're, here's what we're going to do. We're praying about what we're supposed to do over here at the RV park, whether we can even do it. We have to have permission to do it. God's going to have to grant favor. We're praying about going down here to Hampton Chase Apartments. And, and my dream would be that we could move from different apartment complex all over Palestine in the next few years. And when people say, why would you come give us free food? Why would you work with our kids? Why would you have a concert? We're already talking about the, a set list that we could play, you know, our could play with, with rock and music and also with kids music. Why would you do that? God has blessed us and we can't keep it to ourselves. We want to be a blessing to others. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want you to think about whether you're generous or irrationally generous or whether you're stingy and where, what, whatever God wants to tell you to do today. I'm just curious, how many of you would raise your hands and say, I want to be more generous in 2016 than I was in 2015? Would you raise your hands? That's a whole lot of us. Put your hands down and you pray right there where you are. The key to being generous and used by God is to do what the Macedonians did, and they first gave themselves to the Lord. So right where you are, pray silently, God, my life is not mine, it's yours. My house is not mine, it's yours. My car is not mine, it's yours. Whatever you want to do in my life, God, use me for your glory in your kingdom. If you pray that, you need to watch out because God likes to use people who are on his agenda. Father, I pray that we would be more generous than we've ever been so that more people could hear about Jesus than have ever heard before. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I thought this would be a good time to do the Lord's Supper because I want you to think about what Jesus Christ gave. Though he was rich, he gave it all up so that he could come and die for you. And the Lord's Supper, we do it very simply around here. The Lord's Supper that Jesus, the night before he was killed. He broke bread and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. It's symbolic. It's not literally the body of Jesus. It's symbolic. It represents that he was broken for us. The cup, the juice, we use grape juice here. I know churches that use real stuff, the wine. We use grape juice here because it's representative of Jesus' Jesus' blood. It's not really his blood, but his blood was spilled on the cross. and, And he said, Jesus said, every time you take the Lord's Supper, You do this until I come back. So you're preaching a sermon. We're actually saying that that, that the Jesus Christ that we believe walked on this earth, we believe died on 
the cross for our sins. We believe that, that he was raised the third day. He's, he's fulfilled all of his promises except the ones relating to his second coming. We believe he's coming back. So we take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him until he comes again. The way you're supposed to take the Lord's Supper, you're supposed to do a couple of things. The first thing you're supposed to do is you're supposed to examine your heart. And if there is sin in your heart, you're supposed to confess that before you ever come to the table. Second thing is you're supposed to examine relationships. And if there's a relationship that is broken, that you broke, and you've not done anything you can to repair that relationship, you're not supposed to come to the Lord's Supper table until you repair that. In fact, the scripture says you should probably get up and go and make that right and then come back. So there's going to be some people today that don't take the Lord's Supper, and that's okay. It's for believers. It's not for non-believers. And then um, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to remember that it cost Jesus his life. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a video. Um, played this several weeks ago if you are here for our um, the worship series. And, and any time you feel that, that you've prayed and that, that you're, you're in right standing with God and you want to come take the Lord's Supper, you come and just take it. Uh, this is a long video, and, and we're going to leave on for several minutes. And, uh, and I'll dismiss you at the appropriate time, but, but examine your heart. When you're ready, you come and take the Lord's Supper. Go ahead, guys. Give you my trust, Jesus. 